Welcome back, guys, to another Nerdy Show Pro-Grade Fan Film episode. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Hex. I'm Tony, the draw friend. I'm Brandon. I'm Brian. I'm Luke. And today we are going to talk about Fallout, and uh, specifically the Nuka Break fan film series. Yeah, yeah. Our first part of this ongoing series of Nerdy Show Prime episodes uh, was actually dedicated to Ninja Turtles. It was called Teenage Mutant Ninja Cinema, and featured an interview with both Polaris Banks, the creator of the Casey Jones fan film, uh, which is amazing and gritty and hard-boiled and looks Absolutely professional. And if you haven't seen it yet, seriously, go watch it. It's amazing. And, and check out our previous episode, which also features an interview with Steve Barron, oh, the what? director behind the original Ninja Turtles film. Which is amazing. Which is completely amazing. Okay, I'm confused. Yeah, I came into this thinking that we were doing an episode about Fallout Boy, not the game. <laughs> so I'm t- I need to leave. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. I am, hold on. I'm okay. really going to have to change this playlist then. No. <laughs> They've got like six <laughs> albums. Brandon can lend them to you. I'll burn them. No, all it is is Fallout Boys. It's, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> this episode's going to be nothing but Baltimore's Tarzan Boy, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Win. Okay. So we're going to be talking about Fallout. Fallout is, of course, the uh, post-apocalyptic video game series. It's a role-playing series. It's very unconventional because of its distinctive setting. And it's it's kind of old school. It's from the mid-90s. And uh, Fallout 3, of course, is a recent mega blockbuster hit released by Bethesda after the original company, Interplay, sold the rights to them. Shortly thereafter, Nuka Break was born into existence, an amazing fan film created by Zach Frenfrock and Wayside Creations, which is uh, intriguing for a number of reasons. One, because it uh, it looks phenomenal. I mean, it's on, it's the feature for this pro-grade fan film series, and, uh, and what we talk about in these series is films made by fans that are truly professional works, and uh, they are not the uh, the sweeted Super Mario Brothers uh, reinterpretations done in your mom's kitchen. Like th- these, these are done with. Does, does that happen? I'm certain it a has. lot. Mom, I'm going down the pipe. I was a great Luigi. Disposal, <laughs> 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 Brandon. <laughs> But no, on the on the flip side, these pro grade fan films, as we've dubbed them, are the they blur the line between professionalism and fan love. They are imbued with that certain dedication and obsession that fans have without the budget necessarily. So you get a lot of really cool stuff that way. And an interesting and uh, unique feature, probably for any fan film we're going to cover, is that this one's actually co-written by a member of the team. What did you fear? Brandon Gerson. Me. Yep, I did write it. There's lots of spiders and feces jokes. That's why I enjoyed birds. it. <laughs> lots of birds. Lots of birds. Uh, Brian, I, he- I hear rumor that what I just said was completely false. Is it true that you are the co-writer? Or perhaps just the writer? I'm actually confused about you and Zach's balance between writer, co-writer. What are you? <coughs> are you a man? <laughs> <laughs> did he just write... Did you just write the funny jokes or did you write the non-funny jokes, Brian? Oh, I, no, I do the non-funny ones. Those are harder. <laughs> <laughs> and and why, why did you not write any birds into this? I'm, I, that's they my all died out. That's my concern. There's a director's cut. Well, okay. actually, the, the way that it works is that uh, Zach gives, gives me an outline or he gives me what he calls a script. <laughs> In that there are names like, you know, the character and then there's a, there, there's a sentence. Sometimes it's grammatical, sometimes it's not. I tease out what he 
would rather it say if he were a good writer. <laughs> and, then, and that's how it works. <laughs> we'll, we'll reiterate that. So in this episode, uh, Zach is going to be on later, as well as Chris Avalone, uh, who is one of the guys from Obsidian Entertainment who created Fallout New Vegas, the sequel to Fallout 3. And he also worked on the original Fallout 2. Really? As Dude. well as a number of other games, which oh, you've Fallout played, Brandon. Fallout 2 is so good. I played that recently. You can you can blow up kids in that game back when you could do that in video <laughs> yeah. games. Ha- have you also played Icewind Dale and its expansion and sequel? No, I haven't, unfortunately. Have you also played KOTOR 2, the Sith Lords? I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> uh, I have a list of games I really Have you played Neverwinter Nights 2? Yes. Well, there you go. He's been involved with all these Fucking things fantastic. Did he? Was he involved with Diablo 3? No. Then I don't give a shit. Me and Brandon have checked out. Yeah, we're if if nothing's if this isn't Diablo three related, I don't give a fuck. You know, if Luke's here, that may mean that there's a Luke's late to everything segment shoved into this uh, nerdy show prime episode. Is that true? Oh my god, I do that again sometimes, don't I? Yeah, it's been a while. What were you late to this time, Luke? I was late to the original Fallout this time. Did you end up? So you played it recently? I did. I in fact finished it just recently. I saved the ending so it would be fresh in my brain. Well, and more on that as we move along. So I'm pretty excited to get talking with these guys. We're going to cut to a song break, and when we get back, we'll have Zach Frenfrock and Chris Avalone on the line with us. Am I saying his name right? I guess we'll ask him when he comes on. Which one? Uh, Avalone? <laughs> or Frenfrock? Sure. Frenfrock sounds like a fake stage name we just made it up. It totally does! <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like I'm going to put on my Frenfrock now and, and gallop outside in my Frenfrock. You know... You know, uh, when he listens to this, he's going to be horrors upset. in the old west. They used to wear friend frocks because they had to shave everything so they wouldn't get the mange. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, that's Merkins. <laughs> Put on your friend frock so you don't scratch it. Wow, I love you, Sam. I'm going to take a friend frock. again for an important GNR public service announcement. I'm monkey flipping with the young clay technology. I'm straight inflicting damage on the limbs of victims. Radiation sickening, I'm high on stim packs, it seems. Gripping SMG, watching the scene straight through my bat screen. Bullet holes left in my Tesla armor. Tossing grenades in windows, reloading guns around the corner. Down in North California, every day is like a nightmare. Robots and slavers, barrel ghouls up in the fight here. Them high rollers betting blackjack and crafts. Drinking sunsets, asparilla, trading chips for bottle caps. And scavengers bringing goods they want to Bringing word from down south about the last Caesar's Legion raid Them powder gangsters in the desert shooting It's time to start the revolution from my sniper's nest I'm shooting That's three super mutants walking round the tall grass Then three headshots, I'm a wasteland assassin Came across this camp, two brothers were sleeping I shot them both straight in the head and searched their bodies for the keys Then I hit the safe and stole all of their wares That's when I noticed gunshots was coming from a little down the road So I spun around and saw the scavenger coming hot Flipped the screen and Sculpting knees, took both 
took legs out with one shot So then I ran straight up and saw him shaking Executed in the streets, now all the money I'm taking So what you say? It's like the war's all we see done Got soldiers leaving their sons laid up in Vault 101 And the boy grows up to find his father long gone So he picks up a gun and takes his long journey on Check your pit boy scream The 3000 model is manufactured from Las Vegas to Washington, D.C. And we scrap to survive, hacking screens, becoming thieves While watching travelers die, still poisoned from the FEV This doc can fix all of your rough spots But can't do a damn thing if your head's chopped off And you cough, needing some rad X, you can't get enough Picking up some random jobs just to get more of the stuff Yo, I breathe deep as my body's feeling tested I sleep when I can, I can wake up well rested Beyond apocalypse, life is defined I think of mine when I'm in a fallout state of mind of steel in the field questing like a fiend to get my level on the real stepping round the capital wasteland like forever two steps from the front door of bethesda but just a prospector with companions at my arm stepping round these landmines while i'm keeping up my karma i ain't the type of gamer made for you to start testing you ask me the wrong question i'll leave arms and legs resting Thinking of bottle caps, magazine subscriptions Set here on a mission by Mr. House To enlist all of the factions on the new strip A great war approaching Yes man's got me creeping on the low to meet my quotient Full of blood flies and soldiers, ants, bulls and roaches Turrets up on the ceiling that shoot when you approach them I'm living where the night skies are blue-gray And sentries patrol the edge of the town's always From boomers to great cons, followers of apocalypse Earning their trust to stop those who took a shot at us I got so much resting in my inventory Dropping extra ammo and items to keep going The fat man killing behemoths with a single shot Hardcore mode got me saving my game a lot The city never sleeps full of villains and creeps Don't drink the standing water, don't eat iguana meat I'm an addict for bobbleheads, lunchboxes, all of them Roaming round and finishing everything that I started and Inhale deep till my thumbs get stuck I never sleep cause I'm playing till the sun comes up Yeah and all I'm doing is living on borrowed time Life will never be the same in a fallout state of mind Welcome back. What you just listened to was Fallout State of Mind by Adam Warrock. As you can guess, that song was inspired by the awesome game thing franchise kebobber Fallout. <laughs> and not Fallout Boy. Not Fallout Boy. Okay. No, no. Just clarify that. You still I, owe me five bucks over that bet. As promised, with us on the line, we have Zach Finfrock and Chris Avalone. And uh, also, lurking in the background, Tyvee Diskin, uh, who's one of the stars of Nuka Break, and also, according to your website, the chairman of the board for Wayside Creations. Yes. Is that an honorary title, or do you actually... No, I, I run the meetings. She actually does stuff, yes. I'm also sort of in charge of PR. <laughs> in charge of Wayside Relations. Yeah, Wayside Whoa. Relations. Oh, Facebook. Shit. Posting on Facebook. That's actually the email, yeah. <laughs> so, guys, when in our in our for- previous section, we uh, we introduced you. We talked about the project. We talked about why it's cool. Um, but right now, I want to talk about how it got started. You guys recorded a uh, a pilot episode, and that went on to be a uh, fan funded, full blown web series that uh, is extremely popular. How did things get started with Wayside Creations? What led to the creation of Nuka Break? Well, Nuka Break was just 
I mean, it's just a passion project, a fan film. I just wanted to really show my love for Fallout. And I can remember talking about fan films with the group that, you know, I lived with and filmmakers. And every time I brought up the idea of a fan film, it was actually shot down pretty quick because, you know, the argument is, well, why don't we just do original content and make our own stuff? And that, I mean, I can't argue with that. That makes sense. But as soon as I thought of doing a Fallout fan film, I honestly, it was weird because everyone's opinion was the exact opposite because either because it's uh, Fallout or because it's post-apocalyptic. So we did the fan film. Spent Which two we days. didn't expect to become a web series. We oh, just no. thought it would be a standalone project. Yeah. We just did the web series, or we did the, the fan film just as a standalone thing. And we ended it with a little, like, teaser, haha, you know, it could continue from here. <laughs> but that's just because I love, personally, I love after the credits things, even if it's not a, a hint towards what's to come. I just like after the credit jokes. I actually, I honestly think it was Brian's idea when it came to writing the script to have Red be like the end thing at the end of the original fan film. Then we had an opportunity to do a program with the filmmaking company Indie Mogul called the Awesome Directors Project. And the whole concept of that is every Monday is a like a tutorial from a specific director based on one, on a project that they're working on. I was given the chance to be part of the Awesome Directors Project because I had just recently stopped hosting uh, the show Backyard Effects on Indie Mogul. And the project we decided to do to really spearhead and be the flagship for Wayside Creations was a Nuka Break web series. I mean, as much as I love doing Nuka Break and I liked the project and wanted to do a web series, the deciding factor was because of the Awesome Directors Project. Something you mentioned was the uh, the stigma of fan films, and that's something that's one of the key things we talk about in these pro-grade fan film episodes. Uh, because, you know, fan films have become uh, an online institution, a way for fans to interact with popular franchises, but, uh, you know, many of them are uh, really simple. Terrible. Yeah, terrible, yeah, crap. <laughs> <laughs> and you made a conscious decision to, uh, to throw that stigma to the wind and and do something and do it well so much so that you uh got the attention of the creators or at the time the the owners of the fallout property themselves uh at bethesda and eventually had somebody like chris working alongside you guys and he uh chris you oversee the fallout bible is that correct the fallout bible is something that uh, we did way back at black isle about like eight or nine years ago that's not necessarily the lore that Bethesda is using for Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas. Uh, we actually got introduced to Zach and I think Aaron also during yeah. uh, one, one E3 show. At, at E3 2010, I, I, had to, I, had, I had some questions for the fan film and I wanted the fan film to be as canon as possible. And I'd been following the, the Fallout Bible and you know, the, the vault, the, you know, all the stuff online. But I needed to, you know, have some questions answered because Fallout New Vegas was coming out, and my choices in the story could conflict with what was going to happen in Fallout New Vegas. So they were having a thing at E3, and I talked to some guy. I don't even remember his name, but he was like, uh, "That would that would, be, uh, that, that would be that uh, that would be the Bethesda producer uh, Jason Bergman is the one who introduced us. He's oh. like, "Hey, there's these two guys doing a fan film. I'd like to run their script by you." And I'm like, "That sounds great." <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because I knew who you were, Chris, before Aww. I was going to be talking. No, because I mean, because I've been following the Fallout Bible and all that, and I, the guy was like, "We well, need to talk to Chris," and then you know he waved you over and you came over and it, you know, you had a 
thing that said Chris Avalon. And I was like, yes, you're right. I need to talk to Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say that, out. that, Chris, your reaction is the exact opposite of mine. Like if somebody had come up saying, oh, these people have a fan film for Atomic Robo. I would not have been, yes, I have to see this script and oversee it. Um, if you've ever tried to get a job in the pen and paper gaming or computer game industry and you get nothing but a long series of rejections from every single person that tries to suggest an idea to you, it's a very demoralizing experience and I've been on the opposite end of that. So whenever anyone comes to me with, hey, will you check this out? Will you give me some critique? Will you give me some feedback or advice? I don't get exhausted by it. I just realize I was once in that same place, and I remember all the jackasses that turned me away versus the ones that actually helped me out, and I want to be one of the ones that help out. Wow, so you're, there, that's Brian. why you're a better person. Yeah, I was say, well, you're, you're Brian's opposite. Yeah, Brian, Brian is not a nice person, so... <laughs> well, Brian, uh, you and Zach worked together on Warbot in Accounting, so I know how you know each other, was there any particular reason that you got involved with this project? Zach asked me. <laughs> See, now, I want to know, why didn't you just turn him away like you turn all my ideas away? Why, what were you like, I see this spark oh, in his oh, eyes? Well, no, that's an easy question. I like Zach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess that's what it comes down to. So when, when you guys were filming season one, you said you, uh, you did the, the pilot in a couple days. Uh, how long was the shooting for the first season? The, the first season was six days. No, it was more uh, than six for days. What, let me finish. Uh-oh. 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 Here we go. <laughs> it was six days for the original schedule. And then in total it ended up being probably ten days over like the course of having to film for two more days for the last episode and a pickup day for another scene. Like it it added up over time, but we did film for six days straight for the first chunk of it. When you went into uh working on the script for that, you you knew the general extent of, of where you were going um, with the plot, right? Like, so you were you developing towards the series potentially continuing from that point? Actually, the original idea I had for season one had an ending that wasn't a big cliffhanger. Uh, we need to continue it. It was just kind of like, okay, here's the end. And then we realized we only had enough money to film for six days, not for two <laughs> weeks. So then... We had to figure out what, at what point in the original idea and script was a good, like, you know, cutoff point for the end of the season. And then the town burnt down in real life, so we had to figure that out. <laughs> it, it burnt down, it burned down a, a few days after we finished filming. It was like a, maybe like a week, but it maybe was, week, it was but very I mean, it close was to us. We filmed there. A narrow and then, escape. Yeah, it was so narrow. A week. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we were there, and then we... Like, our buddies was like, hey, you know, the Eastwood burnt down, and we had him go take a picture. And what's funny is our good friend Steve Dangler, he took a lot of photos on set uh, when he was there. And he took one photo on top of a hill to see the entire, like, like set as it is in the valley. And then my friend took a picture of it after the fire. And by complete coincidence, my friend took that picture had to have been within five feet of where Steve took the photo. So I was able, I was able to lay the photograph one on top of another, and you can see when, you know, the photo on top is the town, and the photo underneath is just nothing but ashes. And the, like, every single building that we have on, you know, that's in front of the camera is now gone. Hey, Zach, can I ask a really sensitive question? Sure. Does anybody on the cast or crew smoke? Probably. 
But no, there, oh, there, there was a guy. <laughs> they, there was a guy there who was what who who lived near the set and who kind of watched over the whole location, because like. I don't know what a hundred yards away, two hundred yards away. There was like an old like Mexican town set in the same location. Like this is a movie mm-hmm. set, so they've got all these different set pieces around there. And the guy who was living there, it, it, it was a complete accident, obviously. But he accidentally started the fire with a candle in his in the place he was living in, and he like a trailer. yeah, he almost didn't get out himself. I mean, I'm happy, you know, no one was truly hurt. Hurt. It was not us. We did not start the fire. We didn't start the fire. <laughs> <laughs> so was the decision to uh, destroy Eastwood at the very end of that episode, did that come following the uh, the script, or was it just a, a happy coincidence that they actually paralleled each other? Oh, no, no, that was uh, because the actual city burnt down. Like, we had to figure out how or why we can't use it for season two. Because the original, the original like, season ender was going to be them at well, I guess episode five was kind of the end episode five was the original season ending uh, where they decide to go after Leon and continue on and they both you see them basically just walking towards Eastwood and then the reveal of red at the end of episode five was kind of our nod like okay she was revealed the to be alive at the end of the web series well here she is at the end of the or she was revealed to be alive at the end of the fan film here she is now at the end of the web series you know, she'll play a big part in season two. Then the town burnt down. Then we realized we had a lot of unanswered questions anyway. We, we knew we were going to film um, yeah. one. We knew we needed one more episode pretty soon after we finished that first six days of filming. Yeah. We said we were going to have to keep going because we don't quite have enough here. Uh, and so that was a, I guess the town burning down was kind of helpful in that way. Yeah. Now we have something interesting to put at the end of the episode. Because um, yeah, season two was supposed to start at like a night scene where all the buildings, like you had lights, like we were really excited about using it again. I like how the town mysteriously burned down and helped your <laughs> film. Mysteriously helped you out somehow. Yes. Moving on. Coincidence. <laughs> Guys, what was your, I guess individually, your uh, favorite parts of the filming? My favorite stuff is anything with Doug Jones for this for season one. Season two, I think my favorite part, or for the fan film, my favorite part was running around puppeteering the uh, the iBot that was flying around. <laughs> um, yeah, for the original fan film, it was the it was the puppeteering of the iBot. Because what's funny is if you see the unedited footage that you know doesn't cut me out, and you know you you see me holding it. I'm in full costume holding a blue pole underneath this iBot, you know, running sideways and bobbing the iBot up and down. And there's a few takes with, with Giles out of his ghoul makeup, but he has the yeah. iBot. Yeah, so it's it's funny seeing just that unedited. Like, you, there's, you know, it's Twig, turn off your radio. It's not my radio. And then they both look up and they see the iBot fl- flying in the distance, but you see Tybee's shoulder in that shot. If you, see it, if, you see, if you see it unedited, it cuts from me and Tybee sitting there talking, then cuts to me 50 feet away with a pole walking with the iBot. That's just funny to me. Um, then for the web series, it's anything with Doug Jones because he was the first real, like, actor, actor, like, I mean, I count everyone, I, all my friends as actors, but he's the first that has, had, you know, he's a professional career known around the world. And, and he's amazing. He is the nicest 
and creepiest, like, because he's so nice guy in the world. There's so much love from Doug Jones and for him. It was 5.30 in the morning. He was the third person on set. It was me and two other people, and then Doug Jones with, you know, Steve Dangler picked him up. And he's hugging everybody. He's cheerful. He's, like, really excited about it. I mean, I honestly don't know what I did expect, but I did not expect for him to be as amazing as he is. <laughs> yeah, he's told me that he loves playing Mayor Connors because he doesn't actually have to act. <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny is I did not know that that's how he was in real life. We wrote it thinking it would be funny to have a guy be very touchy-feeling. You can ask Brian. We were talking about it when we were writing it. It's just funny to have the mayor be like have no personal boundaries, but that's just how Doug is. <laughs> yeah. for, for so me, it works perfect. Yeah. When I watched the ending of season one, the greatest disappointment was thinking that, oh shit, the mayor's been blown up. I'm not going to get to see him do weird shit anymore. Yeah. Well, he will be back in season two. Doug yes. will. He'll be, he'll yes. be, Doug will be in season two. I'm in not, some capacity. Yeah, I, I'm not going to reveal in any way how, because, you know, I want all of season two to be a surprise. But he will. Doug Jones will be back. He loves. He loves us, and he loves our projects. And he, he's a great he's guy. He's become a friend. Yeah. yeah. I love his hat. Love his it hat. is an amazing hat. And I just the hat survives. Yeah. <laughs> his hat. That that's our costume designer, Katie Broad. She did an incredible his job. His costume with that hat. is my favorite. Yeah. His like weird crisscross shoulder pad <laughs> armor thing. Yeah. And the hat. And he's already tall. So to have that hat on him... It's, it's just, just ridiculous funny. tall, yeah. yeah. Chris, what was your capacity working with the crew for season one? Oh, uh, it was non-existent. Really? Uh, the, only, the only thing I did was look over the script and then uh, give Zach some feedback on it, and that was pretty much about it. I do have a, a favorite scene, though. My favorite scene is the one where they're recollecting how they rescued Scar from the Caesar Legion <laughs> camp. <laughs> And that had me dying. That was such a perfect moment of seeing Zach and Aaron crying and wailing like children as Tyvee's character is hauling them out of the camp with the explosions all around. It was excellent. That was pretty funny. The, the part where I kept laughing was when they added in like the mysterious stranger from the games yep. rescuing them and then disappearing. And I fucking was like, that's amazing that they put that in there. The music that and everything. That's really the only... Like true, you had to play the game to know why that happened. Yeah, it was amazing. It was I, also, as it was emphasized in the original outline, as far as I could tell, the whole reason that there's a season one is to make that gag. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. It was originally supposed to be at the very end of the season, like with the original ending. Yeah, it was. He was. He was going to come in and save the day at the very end. Yeah, I was hoping but, that but, while like, I was watching it. Yeah, he was going to like kill the big bad guy. And it was going to be like a big, like, okay, that that's how, like, a really, like, twist ending uh, type thing, but in a really ridiculous way. Zach, we talked with Brian earlier in the intro segment about the writing process. Very cool. <laughs> we, we, have, we have Brian's side of, of how Nuka Break is written. Uh, what is it in your eyes? Well, we don't work together. We work completely separately. Uh, <laughs> no, what what I do, what okay? Here's here here's the process as far as I am considered. Uh, it it was a matter of me coming up with the very basic idea and the outline, and then writing a very short like script with a lot of brackets that say 
funny things happen here, or here's a joke that I want to happen, but make it funnier. <laughs> and then I would give it to Brian, and then he would, you know, take two, three days, and then send just send me script, you know, the the scripts as he writes them, and that was it. You know, it's really funny is he pretty much said the same thing yeah <laughs> i'm i'm not going to lie it is story by zach written by brian like that's that's how it is with nuka break at least from from the original fan film and most of season one it's also how i work with scott on atomic robo if if he has a plot idea or story idea it's a lot of broad strokes from him with bracket make it good make it funny make it whatever i'm trying to say i'm the artist i don't work in words <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the original works out. Uh, the original Fallout uh, fan film script was like twenty five or twenty eight pages long. We had to cut it down to like fifteen pages to film it in two days, and I hated the fact that we had to cut it down because everything Brian came up with was great, and I didn't want to lose any of it. Oh yeah, I remember us yeah. sitting down and having to kind of there was a it was a really long it, it was a much longer script. It had more characters in the original fan film. Yeah. Oh wow. But that's that was mostly all Brian. Like it was with the original bounty hunter fight in the first fan film. It was here's I, th- I think I can probably find my original script. But it was basically here's <laughs> the characters walk up and they're encountered by Tanner and his group of bounty hunters and they fight. And then here's what I want to happen at the end. And there's a lot of banter in between. Have go. And then Brian wrote like eleven pages from this one scene. <laughs> And it was all I loved all of it, but we had to we had to bring it down. So uh, those gags and everything actually haven't been filmed in, as part of the c- series or anything. They're just trapped in this lost script. Then we'll put uh, it on the yeah. laser disc. <laughs> yeah, the laser disc. Yeah, there, there was there's a lot of specific jokes that were very specific to that moment that I don't think we can reuse. Mm. In fact, I wanna, now 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 that you say that, I'm going to go back and reread the original 28 page oh, script. No. You should uh, release it as a perk for season two. Oh, yeah, the original fan film script. <laughs> you can always go back in 20 years and make a director's cut and just new, new digitally edited remastered. This is the way remastered. it was supposed to be all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, we're going to have your son play you in this, in this digital composite scene. All the guns well, are all, now. No, at this point, it's all just going to be Add in a vaguely Jamaican character with large ears. <laughs> <laughs> and that unicorn scene you always wanted. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's right there. That was, that was the first scene. we're gonna cut to some music and when we come back we're gonna talk about season two as much as we can what do you got for us hex well uh this uh new chip tuner named edward shallow just recently released a new album called wordhead law and this track emerald watches is pretty dang snazzy and i thought it'd uh be a nice uh contribution to this uh episode oh thank you here it is
Alright, so let's talk about Nuka Break Season 2. The Kickstarter is going on right now, and as of this recording, it is way past funded. Uh, and it's just chugging right along. And Congratulations! Yay! Yay! We, um, we have a confetti ball, and it burst, and it's showering us. I wish we could send a little bit of it your way, but no. Oh, it's in my eye! <laughs> so, in fact, you guys uh, just added two new perks, uh, and they are very, very cool. There's a, uh, a t-shirt kick-ass vault 10 t-shirt okay by oh, perks you, i thought you, you meant skills that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were um, to fallout perks well, we, we realized towards actually the beginning of our uh our kickstarter campaign that the dvds are at 100 and we have them at that level because it's still expensive for us to make dvds because we're not going to be kickstarting or we're not going to have Fifteen thousand backers, so we can't mass produce a bunch of DVDs. We still have to do them ourselves. And and it is really exclusive, right? The DVDs on on both ones, uh, it, physical copies of the film are are only via the Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, we can't sell them because we can't make a profit on anything Fallout or Nuka Break. So it is solely for this, you know, the the, the Kickstarter or the Indiegogo from season one. So then we realized we wanted to give a, a nice physical perk to people who can't donate $100 but still want some, you know, want a, a decent little thing. So we figured we can do t-shirts for, you know, a bulk order of t-shirts for uh, fairly cheap. And as long as it's one design and, you know, limited sizes. So we decided to do a t-shirt for uh, 35 and they're they're very cool. I don't remember what I donated at, but I'm definitely going to double check to make sure that it's at that level. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, they're really sweet. They've got, um, just to describe it for the listeners, it's, it's a vault, looks like a Vault 10 uh, like jumpsuit, and it's got uh, Nuka-Cola shoved up in the pockets. Which I don't think there's an actual pocket on the vault suit right there. Right. <laughs> but we needed to put Nuka Break somewhere on the t-shirt and have it make sense. Well, for Vault 10, I'm sure they would have made the alterations to carry extra stores of food around with them. That's sense. a good point. You're right. <laughs> you win. Working into the costume designs. <laughs> the way I look at it, Vault 10, they had nothing but spandex uh, vault suits, just like the original Vault 1 and 2 vault suits. Uh, <laughs> well, you don't really need much else when you're living in an air-conditioned vault. Well, I mean, you don't need anything for the weather. So you can just wear spandex all the time. Or nothing. Or velour. Or velour. <laughs> Everyone wears velour. Uh, well, since we're on the, the subject, uh, I was at the, the panel you guys had at PAX East where you uh, screened the entire first series and the pilot. It was a really great experience because there were a lot of people in the audience who re- just wandered in because it was Fallout and actually hadn't seen or heard of the, the film before and came up to the mic and was like, oh man, how can I give you money? But at that event, it, uh, it came up that there's a chance that Vault 10 actually sort of exists within the continuity of, of fallout like it doesn't because it doesn't contradict it, it it's kind of true well that that was one of the things i first asked chris that was that was actually my biggest question for chris when i first met him at e3 because my original vault for twig was vault 11 he you know i sent him my notes and things like that and what he told me well vault 11 is being used in new vegas so you know, here are the numbers that st- we're still not using, so I just went to Vault 10 because that wasn't one that was using. So technically, Vault 10 was an, you know, uh, a vault that did not have an experiment on it yet. So, you know, I, I, it could be canon. I mean, we, that's my biggest thing with this series and with everything is trying to f- make it as canon as possible. So what you're saying is if they make another Fallout game, they could write this character into it if they make a fault like a vault 10 
Like, he is from this and could put him in that there, game. There would, in fact, be room for that. Yeah. Yes. That's pretty cool. Must be a certain gratifying feeling there. An these, erection. These perhaps. officially unofficial ties you guys have. I, I We didn't know what the response was going to be from Bethesda when it came to the, the fan film. So I wanted to keep it as easy as possible if they did decide to be cool and <laughs> 501st us into the canon. <laughs> you guys want to keep everything relatively secret about season two but which is of course very understandable with this kickstarter drive and everything uh, with it still ongoing what what can you tell people to get them excited about it and any listeners that haven't contributed you know a little bit of something to the project like what's what do you have to tempt them tell me why i should give you money for season two well luckily because we are still getting backers and it's getting bigger by the day. Um, this, the project gets more rich the more donations we get. So Literally more I, rich. Not to mention how rich we get. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, I, don't, I mean rich, rich like a chocolate cake, not rich like, like, like money. Like Wait, um, so like the same length of script, the same shooting, but this time everything is lined with $100 bills. <laughs> right. Yeah. Stretch limos to and from set, you know. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I mean, no, we, we want to in, include more um, effects uh, bigger and better and faster and stronger. And more. That's um, that's one of the big things with season one that people don't get is eleven uh, eleven Media Works who did all of our visual effects for season one, which is uh, you know spearheaded by Roger Nall. Yes, who is a, a wonderful, wonderful man. Yes, I'm sure he'll listen to this. Hi, Roger. Um, we, we, anyway, we he came to us and offered his help for free, free of charge. The only, wow. I mean, downside to that is if he got a normal paying gig, he'd have to focus on that instead of our stuff. Right. And, you know, I mean, he gets, yeah, he gets work all the time, so of course he's going to be working on that. And now with season two, we'll be able to sit down and, and go through all the effects and pay him for it. So he'll be able to sit and work on our stuff until it's done, not in his free time. Yay. And, he still Yay. he still did so much in a limited amount of time. It's ridiculous, but the reason it, it just now that we can now that we're raising more money, like Tybee said, we get to do more and focus one hundred percent into it instead of fifty percent because we also have to pay our bills otherwise. Um, I also think something that's going to be exciting about season two is we'll get to learn more of the backstories of all the characters rather than just Twig. Yes. Um, <laughs> you say with a certain amount of bitterness. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> I mean a little. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, Ben, uh, the ranger, we'll get to find out a little bit about him. Um, we might get to find out, we find out more about Raz. Yes. Who's played by Steve Dangler. Um, You're, there's going to be a lot be more character more depth. Like depth in season two. Nice. Because, uh, and I'm not saying it was a, a, a problem, but... One of the reasons why the original season was kind of lacking in that was because of our limited pre-production time we had because of the Awesome Directors Project for season one. Right. We had to make a deadline of releasing the first episode at a certain day, but now with season two, since it's on our own, we get to really sit back and make sure things are done 100% the way we want it. And what was the uh, in total for season one's Kickstarter? 28,000. 28,7. I think. Do you, do you know what you're at now for the new season? Right now we're at uh, 96,540. Yep. Just a little bit. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. 
God damn it, you guys. Beers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Wow, we're still we're still twenty four thousand away from you being involved officially. We'll make it. <laughs> wow, I have to. That, wow. That's pretty incredible. And we still well, we hit we hit our original goal in nineteen days. Our sixty thousand. Okay, now you're now you're just bragging. <laughs> now you're totally bragging. The good thing about about us being independent is we still get excited. There's yes. no there's no like well we knew we were gonna we still get excited and jump up and down and do stupid dances when we make goals. Yes. Um, because we we are not backed by anybody really but fans. Even Steve was a fan. So we still get excited and have, you know, celebration beers and throw little parties for ourselves because we still can't believe it. Yeah. I we mean, feel so lucky to be able to be part of PAX, like to go and be on a panel. I'm like, people want to ask me questions. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. So we we still get excited. There's definitely not, I don't, know, I don't think the ego has really built at all. We, we still no, get really excited. The, the ego will have built when uh, we're making our third feature film with Lionsgate or Universal and they've, you know, that's because it's just part of the contract. You know, we have to do that. You should not do that. We're on movie seven or seven. Yeah, so it's like, oh, well, I knew I was going to get this kind or this movie deal because, well, it's our third contract and our third movie in our contract. Blah, blah, blah. You know. No, we still still get totally stoked about stuff. If you gain an ego, you will become like Brian. I just want to stress that. Evil. And then children exactly come to me and ask me to read their scripts, and I will say, "No, child, I'm better than you. You're worthless. Get away from me. I need not your pits." So I have to ask uh, real quick because I've been wanting to ask this all day, but really just for the past hour. All of season one, you talk about having limited pre-production time, limited time in general, and you talked about who created the visual effects. But how in God's name did you create all of the outfits and the props and like the combustion sword? I forget the name of it. Like, like. Did you guys have a separate company? No, actually, we, kebab, worked, yeah. we just worked with a visual effects artist. The shish kebab is literally right next to me, by the way. Yes, oh and, and it works. That was a fake fire. Name, Fuck yeah. Uh, Rallis Khan. He contacted me because of my work on Back Effects, but then I came to him and I said, hey, we're doing a web series for Fallout, and we worked with Rallis Khan, and he, just like Roger Knoll of 11 of the Media Works, Rallis offered his work for just cost of supplies. He didn't actually get paid either. It was a lot of supplies. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's he overall with all the props and makeup effects and costumes and everything, we probably had eighty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars worth of props and special effects done by this guy for the cost of supplies, which came up to maybe three grand. Jesus. Jeez. Yeah, because they look. Some of those props were very impressive. I was like, "How the hell did you guys have time to do this?" And now I found well, out. We had we had two months of pre-production, okay. which seems like a lot of time. Yeah, it's not. But when but when it's no not. one's getting paid and people are only doing it for you know to help out in pre-production, that I mean, collectively we probably had over the two months we probably only had three weeks in total of pre-production. And for a project this big that even then had $30,000 was still not enough time. Let me ask this. With this, uh, this perk that you mentioned, which it involved, like it's not a perk, this, uh, the, next, the next tier of funding is uh, the goal is to get Chris on uh, in an official capacity. But Chris what, and Tim Kane. Yeah, yeah, both of those guys. 
uh, and not not only consulting kind of way, but also as uh, actually bit parts in the film. But what will their actual presence, official presence on the projects entail? First off, Tim Kang will undoubtedly tell wonderful stories about Fallout and about game development in general. And they will last many hours and you'll be in trance. And at the end of the hour, you'll wake up and go, wow, what just happened? And Tim will be just like, you know what? I told you a beautiful story. And that will be part of Tim's involvement. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I that mean... That sounds awesome. It, yeah, I'm on that. It's, it's, it's pretty not, great. We don't need to raise 120000 for that. So let's just do that this week. I mean... What have you been? <laughs> yeah, just, just film Tim talking. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, their involvement will be right at the very beginning with writing because we are still working on, on the scripts, making sure they're perfect. And, uh, I mean, Brian hasn't even had a chance to put his funny onto it yet. So Thank God. We're still, we're still they, working first along. First they perfect the script, then I come in and make it all goofy. Yes. <laughs> Brian sprinkles his, his funny dust all over it. <laughs> that's, that's not dust. Let's not call that. What we're going to do is... When we have a, a really solid, you know, five-page outline, because uh, Tybee and I are actually writing season two, whereas before it was just me and Brian, now it's Tybee and me and Brian. And then what we'll do is we'll get a really, we're going to finish a really nice, solid five-page outline of the entire first season, send that off to Chris and Tim, see their, you know, what are they, what their opinions, their, you know, suggestions, if they think one thing will work better, because their knowledge of the Fallout world goes you know well beyond mine and then once we all really like what we're doing then we'll go to brian and see if he has any funny that can be injected uh, injected yes uh <laughs> into it uh, and then yeah it comes down to the scripts i mean we're, we're gonna finish the scripts and it'll kind of be in that same process because i like to have the major story points across before brian makes it funnier. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. That's just how it's worked out well. I, would, I prefer that also because it's a lot easier to fit into my work schedule and I will have a tendency where if I have any kind of idea that I even I just think might be funny, whether or not it actually is, I will just fucking go for it. Yeah. And that could be like really bad for what you know, Zach and, and the crew oh, yeah. are actually capable of doing and what they plan to do. So yeah. the more structure there is, the better it is on, on my end. Yeah, there have been times when you, Brian, you've asked me like, yeah. what, what would happen if, or where would Twig go, or what? <laughs> so Brian's like, what if we burned Eastwood down? Yeah. We're like, no, no. I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> One phone call later, and it was done. <laughs> yes. Brian actually maybe you down. burned it down. <laughs> hey, I gotta go. <laughs> Brian, later, later tonight, can you inject some of your funny inside of me as well? Oh, <laughs> oh. Anyway, um, then after, after you know, once we get to the uh, you know filming part, Tim and Chris, I mean, they're both welcome to hang out the entire time we film. And I know Chris, you've mentioned in the past that you wanted to just hang out and you know be involved, but now we're actually going to write Absolutely. characters for them. Not sure yet who these characters will be, if they'll be reoccurring or a single episode type thing. Reoccurring. No, recurring. Recurring? Yes. <laughs> is it recurring or reoccurring? It's recurring. There's recurring? no O. Well, is it occurring re? Like, is it occurring again? Is it re? I'm not going to. I'll just go with what she said. <laughs> and it's funny because in, in the stretch goal announcement, we announced that, we announced that, you know, jokingly, if, if, you know, some a lot of it will end up on the cutting room floor. And uh, I have to be honest with you, Chris, and if Tim was here, I'd say the same thing. If you guys are horrible actors, we're going to have to come around you. 
I, I, I would understand That's that. That's what we do for Zach, though. Yes. So we're not, it's nothing new for us. <laughs> Chris, I want to take some time right now to talk about yourself and uh, your really kick-ass career in gaming. Earlier in the episode, we read off some of uh, some of what we perceive to be uh, your greatest hits from the, the catalog of things you've done listed on Wikipedia. And, uh, oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> It's pretty great, I must say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fallout 2, Icewind Dale, uh, KOTOR 2, Neverwinter Nights 2. I mean, that's that's really, uh, I mean, incredible for Zach to have somebody who's not just worked on Fallout New Vegas, but, in fact, Fallout 2. And also, uh, I was surprised to see Van Buren, which is the uh, the working, like, secret Blue Harvesty kind of title for Fallout 3 before it uh, was sold to uh, Bethesda. Have you ever been involved with a terrible game? Because all of your games are phenomenal. <laughs> I, I picked the good ones out of the list. Oh, okay. I see what you did there. You didn't tell me that. <laughs> well, yeah. So, yeah. Le- LinkedIn doesn't include all the titles, I don't believe. I worked on this really terrible D&D game called, De- called Descent to Undermountain. And, man, was that just a, a nightmare project. And that was, like, the first thing I worked on in game development. I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's like, going to be like this forever. And then it just got better. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get that. Yeah, and you know what? But then, like, you know, then more recently, like, uh, we got the opportunity to, like, do the South Park RPG, which is something, like, we never dreamed would happen for a role-playing game. Like, when we first got the the call from the South Park guys, we actually thought another game company was punking us. <laughs> and we're like, oh, there is no way. This is from South Park. And then it all it all panned out really well, so that, that was pretty cool. And then, like, uh, Wasteland 2, you know, I uh, got kicked up through Kickstarter, and that was super great to be able to do. And I'm just really happy that Kickstarter is around because it gives Zach and Tyvee and Aaron lots of money to make cool shit, and it gives us lots of money to make cool games, and that makes my soul happy. I like how you called our stuff shit, but then you're like, and it gives us a chance to make games and things like that. <laughs> they make cool shit. <laughs> well, tell us a bit about uh, a Wasteland 2. Uh, I know it exists, but I actually don't know much about it. Well, it's a sequel to a 1980s RPG called Wasteland 1. I know it's a big shocker there. Uh, which was sort of the spiritual predecessor to the Fallout series. But because Interplay could not do another Wasteland title because it was owned by Electronic Arts, they were forced to do a brand new post-apocalyptic RPG, and that became Fallout, which ended up being a good thing because Fallout turned out very, very well. Whoa. I didn't really like it, though. <laughs> you did not at all, Zach. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, not, it's not for everyone. Was it, the, was, it the birds? was it the birds that bothered you? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I did not know that. I was completely unaware, actually. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, uh, actually Fallout was supposed to be a GURPS RPG at one point, but then uh, Steve Jackson and Interplay kind of had a parting of the ways, and then uh, they had to reinvent the whole system, and that turned out well. So it's been kind of a crazy franchise uh, experience. Well, what, uh, what's in store for Wasteland 2? Is that is that out or, uh, or in development right now? or? Uh, no, the uh, projected date is uh, October 2013, and we're doing uh, all the design meetings for it right now with uh, Brian Fargo and a lot of the original crew from Wasteland 1, like uh, Ken St. Andre and uh, Mike Stackpole, and uh, getting the whole crew back together, kind of like the Blues Brothers. <laughs> Is this still owned by EA? I'm actually not sure how that all works, except that they seem to be okay with the Wasteland 2 thing, and Brian and them talk a great deal, so... 
I think that that's all okay, but I don't know for sure. Because it involves legal stuff and contracts. I never read those before I sign them. Yeah, the thing that's a bit weird is that they would be directly competing, obviously, with the Fallout series. And the Fallout series has so much pull that is it just going to kill it or not make it? Like, I don't know. I Uh, I think that they have some similarities, but basically they're they're two different types of games. And then Mm. again, you have to recognize that it's it's technically two different publishers. So, you know, if if Bethesda was doing a Wasteland game, uh, then they would be competing with themselves. But another publisher might, you know, want to get back in the post-apocalyptic action. So Wasteland, Wasteland serves that purpose. Taking it back all the way to 98 or before that, probably um what was your role with fallout 2 uh, i got to do level design for a location called new reno and then do some work for vault city and a location called the raiders and a lot of the special encounters for fallout 2 and we went a little bit too far with some of the jokes and humor for fallout 2 you but, say you uh, went too far I, I don't think you went uh, far enough <laughs> i remember uh, uh, you know what yeah. and there's fans that say that and i i am truly surprised to hear that even to this day <laughs> that is that's actually one of the main things I miss from the newer games is that there isn't a random, like, Doctor Who police box in the middle that teleports out of nowhere, yeah. or... Well, I, I figured he was yeah. talking specifically about Child Killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah, there's no there's no murdering of children. That's not allowed anymore. I, that was really a shame, but oh well. <laughs> Sometimes I want to get my frustrations out by planting a bomb in a child's pocket in a town. <laughs> and in the that video is, game. That, yeah. that video is the best game. uses a pickpocket ever. I think there was even one quest where you could uh, tell, tell a kid to go say hello to his father or go bother his dad. <laughs> and you plant a bomb in there. Yeah, exactly. And then when he got close to his dad, he blew up. And yeah, that was a terrible way to solve a quest. But <laughs> you mean, Yeah, but it was the most fun, to be honest. It's most using fun the resources way. available at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the best use of a child, honestly. In a game or real life. <laughs> what? That's what they're made for, right? I don't know. I'm never having one. Brandon, we're going to have to have a talk after the episode about what kids actually do. <laughs> all... They give you germs. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Which is Anyway, getting, getting back to what we were talking about. <laughs> The Van Buren project was interesting about that, which I learned far after the fact, was that in many ways aspects of the plot got retrofitted into Fallout New Vegas, which is very cool. Uh, that is correct. Yeah, we uh, had locations like Hoover Dam show up in New Vegas. And, but I think because of the passage of time between the two projects, they ended up turning out quite differently. Like when we were doing like Old World Blues uh, for New Vegas, which is one of the one of the DLC packs, that entire location of the Big Empty was actually much different in Van Buren. It was like some sort of like isolated military boot camp that you could find out in the wilderness. It was still being run by robots, so players could, like, could get trapped there and they'd have to go through all the paces of basic training. But then. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but then we saw when we, we got, got around to Old World Blues, we're like, well, we can make it kind of sciencey and kind of fun and maybe use too much humor, although we're not sure how people will like that. And then it, it came out and then everyone liked it a lot because I think people like to laugh. What was it like having the Van Buren project like dissipate completely and then getting to re-examine it and reinterpret it and bring it to life again in New Vegas? Well, having it canceled was a soul-crushing experience but it was a it was a fun two-stage process because we were doing Baldur's Gate 3 initially and then that got canceled and so we watched like a year and a half of development work get flushed which you know makes everyone feel great but once Baldur's Gate 3 got canceled at Interplay I realized that Van Buren would most likely never see the light of day so when Fergus quit, who was our uh, head of the division at the time, I, I left soon after. 
And then several months after that, Executive Row at Interplay ended up canceling Van Buren because I think it wasn't console enough or, you know, didn't, you know, target their demographic or whatever. But anyway, when Bethesda showed up and said, hey, by the way, would you guys be interested in doing the next installment for Fallout after Fallout 3? We were like, yes, we would. That would be fantastic. And then New Vegas was born. <laughs> to be fair, I, I shared a similar soul-crushing experience because once my parents were going to take me to get ice cream and then they canceled on me and I have not since recovered. So, to this day, I, I don't really want to say anything more about it. So. It's, it's soul-crushing. It is. That ice cream could have been so delicious. I'll never know. Do I'm going to die before I have I mean, Chris, we you were working on Van Buren before like it was canceled, right? Yes, I had been working on it for about three and a half years. Yeah, see, that's, like, you weren't getting ready to eat ice cream for three years, at least. Oh, you don't know me. <laughs> I was. I'm pretty sure their whole lives are getting ready to eat ice cream. So. They said, you get good grades every year in middle school, and we will take you to get ice cream. And I got good grades every single year. And then, uh, that is true. And then they both got killed in an accident and couldn't get ice cream. They canceled on me. I mean, how dare they? You should see his journal entries from around that time. They're very oh. dark. I mean, like, I can get you some ice cream. Just, just mail it to us. I'll eat it. Damn you, parents! <laughs> How dare they? I want some ice cream. All right, well, let's let's uh, get some ice cream and cut to a song. What do you got for us, uh, X? I'm kind of so what I have is a lo- local musician that I got to see at the uh, Skill Focus Burlesque birthday show, Hell on Heels, as she's called. Uh, she did some amazing covers. Among them were uh, the Portal. Uh, this was a triumph, and uh, and Proto Men still alive, still alive, <laughs> and uh, and Proto Men light up the night. She also covered "I Don't Want to Set the World on Fire." Beautiful singing voice and a ukulele, and this is from her YouTube video where she performs the song. And you 
So now we're going to uh, turn our loving gaze to the uh, to the filmmakers uh, and turn that loving gaze into a piercing stare. And we're going to talk about this uh, pro-grade fan film thing that they're doing. We're going to talk about the craft a bit and, and really uh, what should inspire people and future generations to create fan films, why it's okay, why to get over the stigma. Well, I don't look at what we're doing as pro-grade fan films. But that's just how we make films. We, I mean, we put everything we can into it to do the best job possible. We just happen to you know, be a collection of very talented people who can pull off your qualification of pro grade and modest, uh, but when no, when it comes to fan films, my like I said, in my opinion, if there's if you've got source material, if you're basing it off of something you love, then you know sticking to that source material as close as possible to me is what makes a fan film good or bad. It might look amazing, but if if it's taking liberties with the source material and kind of doing their own thing, then I don't feel like they're true fans of the series hmm. or whatever it is they're making a fan film of. A lot of people are looking at fan films these days as a way to get uh, your foot in the door because they have a built-in audience. And if you're just, uh, no matter how talented you are, typically if you're just Joe Blow filmmaker trying to make your way in the world, maybe you could be producing the best stuff. But in the sea of YouTube, the infinite, endless sea of YouTube, uh, a lot of great things can get lost. Do you think that fan films are a good, say, marketing strategy for, for young filmmakers to get their material out there? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. That... And I, and I wouldn't I wouldn't try to pretend like that we hadn't had that conversation. Right. <laughs> where it's like, well, why don't we do new stuff? Oh, well, because Fallout is rad and people already like it. And I think that's that's part of that was part of the draw for us as filmmakers is we knew that we were capable of of making good things and we we don't believe in settling. We we try and really put our all into everything we do. Um, but it's hard to get people to see that. You know, it's it's like sending in a resume and it gets thrown away immediately if people can't see you if they can't meet you if they don't hear your voice it, it, nothing matters and this is what we choose for our career everyone everyone working on it wants to be a filmmaker or an actor or you know a specifically a director or whatever we choose people who who really want to do this uh, as a career and not just like we don't just throw our friends in it I mean of course on the occasion we bring in people who are like well we'll put this person in this is something that that means a lot to all of us as filmmakers and and, and film enthusiasts. Yes, but that's not to deter anyone who's not a filmmaker or doesn't want to do it for a living but still wants to do a fan film. Yes. But in but in as far as answering the question, is yeah. it a good way to get in the door? Is it a good marketing strategy? I'd say yeah. Absolutely. Well, then I guess I'd uh I'd ask after Nuka break, maybe even after season 2 Ghostbusters. Uh, Shut up. <laughs> oh my god, yes. 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 It's that done. That would be damn cool. You heard it here first. I... Let's keep making things where we make no money. Yes. Can't Another Kickstarter. Uh, well, what I was... will at some point in my career make a Ghostbusters fan film. Yeah. I like the way you think, dude. <laughs> that's, well, Ghostbusters is my favorite movie. Bottom line, that's, that is my favorite movie. And I have this whole idea that I'm not going to share on the internet. For my you didn't even let him ask the question he was going to ask. I hope that was the question you were going to ask. <laughs> it, it, I apologize. It, it for wasn't, but proceed. Okay. We'll, we'll get no, back no. to it. Okay, I'm well interested. Well, then continue with your question. Sorry. No, 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 no. Ghostbusters is yeah, we, more important. We want more of Ghostbusters, <laughs> yes. please. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying my idea, a Ghostbusters fan film, that would be as canon as possible. I'm into it. Can we get Dan Aykroyd for him? <laughs> well, you've well, talked to him before. Me and Dan. He's, he's talked about it. Zach has mentioned oh, no, Well, it. I've wanted to work with Dan Aykroyd. Well, because of Ghostbusters, but Dan Aykroyd, I've seen him do a couple independent things and in movies that 
he's clearly reading cue cards or is there for one day. So I will work with him at one point just because he looks, he seems very easy to work with. You're in, you're in good company with the Ghostbusters scene, particularly because uh, Brian's so tight with uh, the fellas who are behind the Ghostbusters comic from IDW, which is the best transmedia adaptation of that franchise that uh, anyone's ever seen. Brian, Brian, <laughs> why have you never told me this? Brian, you're fired. Oh. <laughs> wait, wait, let me start over. Brian, we love you. <laughs> I like the first one better. <laughs> Zach, have you read those books by any chance? I have not. I have oh not. my gosh! Uh, no, you got to check those literate. out. They're, uh, they're they're brilliant, and uh, Brian actually wrote the forward to the uh, most recent volume. Why have you not told me this, Brian? <laughs> because you are illiterate. What, what you, <laughs> you would just it's stare at the pages book. like a sad little ape. Going, ah. It's a comic book. If I can, well, if Pictures. I can sense I'm Robo, I'm sure I can understand other comic books. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, yes. Okay. Well, what was your what was your original question? I, I apologize. For uh, original question, uh, if if it's answerable, is uh, <laughs> what's that what's that dream project you've been waiting to do that's not a franchise that you're just you know amping up for? Well, Emerson Wild is a is that the uh, Monster Hunter thing? Why Emerson, aren't we doing well, that right now? What what was that, Brian? Why aren't we doing that right now? <laughs> because we still wouldn't be able to make enough money to do it independently. Mm. Because just like fan films with Emerson Wild Monster Hunter, if I can't have real practical monsters in it, then it's I, not worth doing. I, it's not, I'd rather wait until I can do it. But you have done one of them, right? I remember seeing something. We did, an orig- we did like a pitch slash proof of concept that had a, a real puppet in it, yes. And... I'd want to do that for everything, and that puppet alone cost. I mean, on a normal set, would have cost like three, four grand. We've we have other easier to do. I guess, no, I guess just simpler web series that we've been planning and and getting ready to do as well because we know season two. Once that's done, you know, we'll be focusing on other stuff, and so we've already started moving forward with that. Yeah, more filmmakerly stuff. Say there's a, a young aspiring would-be filmmaker listening to this, and I'm talking about, like, no formal training, just a lot of piss and vinegar and a fire in his belly or, or her belly. Well, then they should go to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good first don't, step. Don't worry about listening to a podcast. Go to the hospital. <laughs> and then after the chlamydia settles, what should they do? <laughs> like, uh, uh, what do you feel in, in, this, in this increasingly more independently oriented film market a young aspiring filmmaker should do, and not even from a fan film perspective, just to get themselves off the ground, what's a good starting point? Watch a lot of movies and make a lot of films. Yeah, surround yourself by people who you love working with. Just make as much as you can. I was actually just talking to Amanda, who's been next to me, about um, the idea of always being the student. Um, I think a lot of people, especially, and of course this is, you know, steps further when people have moved to L.A. and there's this sense of like, let me see what I can teach everybody around me about what I know how to do, rather than approaching every project as a student and really like learning from everyone around you. There's a saying in theater that's that if you are cast to play the king, you don't play the king, everyone around you plays the king or plays that you're the king. You don't actually have to do anything. Everyone else will make you look like the king. Um, so. Uh, so that's when and when people are like overacting, you know, they have this booming voice and they do this weird thing, and you're like, why are you doing that? If you were really the king, you wouldn't have to do that. 
Um, So I try to, I, I would say that kind of trickles into other projects as well, being the student and really learning from everybody around you, everything you can be a sponge. Yeah. And just make, keep making films, start small, get bigger and, and don't settle. Yes. Yeah, and and don't make your dream project the first project you want to do, because yeah. it's going to suck, and it, no one's going to like it, and including you. And then where do you go from there? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, make things, and obviously you want to like everything you make, but don't make the first big project you want to do a huge undertaking. You know, start small, start simple, start write for what you have and what you have available, and go from there. See, that's, that's good advice because I was I was going to say that the first thing that you should never do is just pack up and go to L.A. Ever. Because I've seen many people do that and it always ends in failure. I think that's what Yeah. Exactly what's acted. That's actually, I knew, I knew the, the guys that I am currently partnered with and working with, at, you know, as a business. I knew those guys for four months before I moved out here. And I specifically told you it was a stupid idea and you shouldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. No, I, yeah, I wouldn't say. And I remember your response was, shut up, Brian, I'm doing it. (laughs) I wouldn't say that it's the worst thing to do. Just not the smartest. It, it's, okay, if I didn't know, if I wasn't moving with people I knew and I just moved out here on my own, yes, that would be a terrible decision. It, it honestly, it, it goes back to surrounding yourself with people who you love working with and who also want to do that. Because that's actually how I met everybody. I wanted to do short films in Florida, so then I met the group who made short films in Florida. Then they said, "Hey, we're moving to LA," and I said, "When are we leaving?" We're based out of Florida. I see a lot of people uh, come and go through Orlando specifically. It's a very transient place, or at least it can be most of the time. Something I, I wonder is: is it really is LA really truly a necessity for the? For the film business, I know there's a lot of resources there. Is it just that much harder to make decent films elsewhere that LA is worth the risk? Um, That's kind of hard to answer. I yeah. think it depends on on what kind of support system you have. For one thing, what kind of filmmaker you are. Yeah, I mean, and and as far as Florida goes, I don't I don't feel like it compares. Um, yeah. I mean, there's some people who who make decent money doing some film work, but they're from what I hear, this is just in my experience, things I've heard from people who still live there, is that they're not really achieving their dreams there. They're not yeah. really moving forward. And I know there's some film work in in New York that's that's totally rocking. But yeah, L.A. is is kind of the place to be. Yeah, I mean, there are there are a lot of things that happened in L.A. filmmaking wise for us as a group, me personally, that would have never happened anywhere else. Yeah. And that's just because L.A. is, it's Hollywood. I mean, it's, it's Hollywood. That's where movies are made, and that's where things get done. Also a lot of porn, so and, if you just wanted to move yeah. straight on out. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, on a side note, they do have the best cocaine I've ever had. So. <laughs> Edit. <laughs> I've never had cocaine. If we, let, if we left child killing in there, I don't think cocaine's going to ruin his image. No, L.A. has the best child killing, too. <laughs> I don't yeah, know, Orlando's nice coming You're just up. like, I'm filming a movie. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. See, it's makeup. No, you know what's <laughs> funny? In L.A., you you can get away with a lot because it's L.A. and people are like, oh, they're probably just filming a movie. But you can't use I'm filming a movie as an excuse either because then people will be like, great, well, where are your hermits? Did you pay these people? Where's your insurance? right. right. So, Where's your pants? <laughs> the yeah, usual. Not easy to use that excuse. I actually recently worked on a short with um, Eric Beck and Justin Johnson, The Andy Machines, 
uh, where I am painted like Iron Man. And I came home to my apartment building to a courtyard full of children and could not hide my face from them. <laughs> I was like having to hide going up the stairs. And they were like, why do you look like Iron Man? You're a movie star? <laughs> when you say painted like Iron Man, I'm kind of yeah. confused. Like, do you mean completely naked and then painted as Iron Man? Ish. No, I have. If, it's. No. If you look on YouTube, it's under Avengers Girls. I have like I had airbrush Iron Man like paint on my face, and then they did digital. The rest of my skin is digital. Cool. But I still have my shirt on. There are like gratuitous chest shots, though. I'm sorry, fans. <laughs> wah, wah. It's been so long since they've. See naked girls. <laughs> I was googling it at high speed. Now I'm only googling it at medium speed. <laughs> it's hard to look at naked girls on the internet. Oh. They're few and far between. I see. <laughs> it's a really tough job. Uh, and I, I guess while while we're talking about jobs and uh, closing this out, uh, Chris, with work in the gaming industry and with say transmedia projects like this, when when someone's like starting out and wants to get into say storytelling, be it in a transmedia outlet or or via video games, what is the uh, the best path? What we look for is people that sort of do their own mod work uh, to clarify. Basically, when games like Fallout and Skyrim and Dragon Age come out, they usually come out with game editors that allow you to create your own content for those games. Yeah. And the more um, a developer actually builds their own mod and builds their own adventure and then puts it up on the internet, that is probably the best experience that you can have making games before you actually start doing professionally. Like we had... Uh, one designer, uh, Jorge, Jorge Salgado, who completely rewrote Oblivion and then put that up on the net and got like a hundred thousand downloads, <laughs> and then he, and then like he applied to us and we're like, you know what, Jorge, you don't even need to show us your resume, just come on board. <laughs> so I, I, I strongly advocate uh, just doing mods for games, and I think actually someone did a mod for Nuka Break. And I, th- if I, I, they did a companion mod where they right. made Twig, Ben, and Scar. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, we'll link to that in this episode's page. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah that's- I've yet to try it. I bought New Vegas when it was on sale on Steam solely just to play that with that mod to see how it is. But for me, because I, you can't talk to them and there would be no dialogue or anything. I don't, I don't know. I just not. Well, I don't know. You know, if they'd actually got in touch with you, you know, that would have been nice rather than just having the, the, these mute characters go around. But I want to see what Twig's stats are. <laughs> me too, actually. I want to see what they put him at. He just doesn't gain experience. Well, no, I, I hope that the, the fan who created that, uh, somehow this trickles down to him or her, and, and they do that. Because we actually, uh, one of uh, one of our fans modded Neverwinter Nights 2 and stuck our D&D characters in it, and they were like, you oh, want to nice. do the voices? And we said, yeah, we'll do the voices. <laughs> so, uh, well, let's let's talk about fan appreciation. Uh, aside from that incredible mod, uh, what have you guys seen? Just as far as like Nuka, the Nuka Break fandom specifically, a lot of fan art of, of Ben the Ghoul. Yeah, there's so much <laughs> fan art of Ben, and not it's not like it's just by one artist. There, it's like people really want they just like Ben. I think is it's because he's the antihero. He's the angsty. Mm-hmm. He's the most angsty of us all. He's so. pretty awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of fan art that I've seen a group <laughs> of, of Scar and Twig. Besides that, there hasn't, I mean, I mean, besides the just general love and people you know, sending us emails, like we actually get quite a few e- just random emails saying, hey, we love Nuka Break. But yeah, and, and I, I read at one point, some guy said he was going to cosplay as Twig 
<laughs> awesome. Um, I don't That's know. That's so I don't awesome. Know if it's happened or yet I'm or so not. jealous. Uh, I don't know if it's happened yet or not, but that was it. I mean, that, but that, yeah, that's it. I'll cosplay a scar. Well, <laughs> guys, just to be sure, I checked uh, the Rule 34 archive. There is no Nuka Break 34 yet, so you're in be. the clear. There could be, uh, Cap. Cap, no. there could be. No. <laughs> I'm just it's saying. It's only a matter of time now. <laughs> well, you, you guys were talking about how much everybody liked Ben, and the way you said it, I just thought, is it like that? Is that how much they it, like Ben? It's <laughs> kind of, it is kind of like that. He, there are girls who are, like, really into Ben the Ghoul. Yeah, like, there's this girl, and she's like an, act, she like, she's like an oil painter, like, this fan art of Ben is like an oil painting. Oh my god. And she's like, Does he have a shirt into off? him, into him. Yes. <laughs> so they like ugly guys, huh? <laughs> get them numbers. <laughs> There's a slang that's shown up basically via via my Tumblr experience, which is shipping, and the uh, the concept of creating relationships that aren't really there between fictional characters. And when you said like that, they're really into Ben. Has anybody been uh, shipping uh, Twig and Ben? Are you guys aware of this? Is that is that going on? Not that I know of. That's good. What? What about in the scripts I keep sending you? <laughs> Again, it's only a matter of time now. The thing that comes to mind when you say that is the uh, the Sherlock Holmes Watson stuff. Mm -hmm. That exploded on the internet. Yeah, it did. How, cl how closely do you follow that, Zach? <laughs> <laughs> Very close. <laughs> Respect. <laughs> Ryan, did you write the by men in joke? Yes. <laughs> Thank what you, you. What do you remember you for from, that? from before the bomb? By Menon. <laughs> I think it's some sort of ham. Is it from a religion? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was great. And then they use it as like... Oh, man. Yeah. By Menon. I fucking I... love that joke. <laughs> it's funny. We, I, I did a talk at a local university, and these were with kids who were like 18, 19 years old. And so we're doing it. We were also doing a screening of... I think then it was just the first two episodes that had been released. And we get to the By Menon. And none of them get it because they had never seen the commercial. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, Because they're children. I mean, I saw that and I was like, Christ, somebody else remembers that shit? <laughs> so, I don't even, you know what's funny? I don't even know what product that is. I just know the sound of that jingle. I think it was a was ham. Wasn't it razor or something? <laughs> was it like Pepto-Bismol, but... I have no idea. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. What is it, Brian? Yeah, you're uh, right. It was, what was it? Was, wasn't it used for multiple things? Yeah. It for the company Menon? It was a company that made multiple products. Oh. If only we had access to the internet to find out the answer. <laughs> uh, links to uh, the commercials. Links to buy men and products on some kind of encyclopedia that could be like I don't know user created. You know, <laughs> some sort of pedia. Uh, Some sort of pedia. <laughs> Any pedia will do. I have no idea. I think we've gotten off topic. Yep. Uh, so what do you? What, uh, what's, let's do, cut some music. What do you got for us, X? Well, uh, recently, uh, earlier this year, uh, our good pal, friend of the show, MC Gigahertz, passed away. And uh, he had some unreleased tracks, and the good people over at Nerdcore Now and uh, a producer that Gigahertz worked with, uh, uh, OG Don Vito, released his album, The Shapeshifter EP, and one of the songs that I remember hearing while it was still in production was uh, Summertime is Over. And uh, seeing how this all takes place, uh, Fallout is mainly de desert, I thought Summertime is Over was an appropriate song. So uh, there you go. <laughs> 
Tybee has left us sadly, but uh, Goodbye, she's. Tybee. Can you blame her? <laughs> no, I, no. Honestly, I can't. I really, truly can't. Not even a little bit. But, but now, now we're gonna take things way back. We're gonna talk about the original Fallout because Luke is late to it. Luke is way <laughs> late to it. Sometimes Luke's not quite as cool as he might like to think. It's time. 
So, Luke, going into Fallout years, years, and years after the fact, what did you know about it? Well, I had already previously played Fallout 3 and New Vegas, and I remembered playing maybe an hour of Fallout 2, oddly enough. So I knew I, knew, I already had a familiarity with the universe, but that's about it. And I, I have not played many of the other RPGs in the same kind of gameplay style either. So, like, turn-based combat from the from the top-down view was a, kind of a new experience for me as well. After all this time, how did the uh, format translate to you as a, a modern game player, especially from Fallout 3? It is, well, obviously it is completely different, and it is a lot, I would say, slower paced just because things kind of take longer to do, if nothing else. But I have I have was playing computer games at the time, so I was I can deal with a little bit of old schoolness, and and I appreciate it even. It's I like the way it translates from uh, from pen and paper st- uh, RPGs. It all makes sense in my head somehow. <laughs> now, oddly enough, I went back and played Fallout One recently, and you cannot beat the game by only focusing on speech skills. You can't. Every enemy kills you in one hit. No. You oh can't. yes, I died so many times I, playing I, this game. That is that is yeah. one of the first things I want to mention is that it is old school game hard. Yeah, no no speech skills. You'll just die. You can't do it. <laughs> Gotta be careful I, when uh, you save. But, you know, since since in Fallout Three, your your combat ability is a lot based just on your own reflexes and ability to aim or use the VAT system. Uh, you don't really have to do a lot of running away. Whereas when you when you come out of the vault for the first time at level one, I was running from basically everything, so I didn't <laughs> have to keep going back to coming out of the vault. <laughs> I have to say, I spammed the VAT system in Fallout 3. Yeah. Well, it was, it was fun. That's what it was there for. It was, it was ingenious. It's great. Uh, it was my old crap button. I was like, oh my god, they're going to kill me. Shoot him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the first game is, is really difficult. Well, uh, and there, there is a similar system in, in Fallout 1 as well. You, it's, you can, for extra, extra action points, you can specify what part of the body you want to shoot an enemy in. And it has a probability number there as well. It's for, if you, uh, after playing Fallout 3, it was immediately familiar. Well, I guess to describe the, uh, the experience playing it, like going, going into it, say you were reviewing the game. Tell us about... Uh, I would uh, your, say, your... from, from a gameplay perspective, it was, it was satisfyingly difficult. Uh, I, liked, I liked how hard it was. I think it gave the Wasteland a more perilous field because I had to keep running away from things until I discovered the Blessed Power Armor. Story-wise, I I liked this. I liked how they developed the story in in this first game better even than uh, than three because it, I felt like they dwelled on things a little bit more and things things can be more developed through the through the various texts that you find and the voice acting was just excellent. Everybody they got involved was just amazing and uh, I had my oh my god it's Tony J moment when I ran into the lieutenant. <laughs> I I really appreciated the ending I, and I which I did not see coming uh, to, to sum it up. After doing everything that you need to in the game, you are not allowed to return to your vault because uh, you have seen too much of the outside world and you would basically motivate the best of your generation to, to go out and do the same as you. So you are kicked out to wander the wasteland forever and uh, eventually found the, the tribe that you are a member of in Fallout 2, I, I learned. Yeah, Arroyo. The funny enough, yes. uh, oddly enough, at the end of the first game when they banish you, it's like... You're strong enough that you could probably take him on at this point if you really wanted you, to. So. You could, in fact, shoot the overseer, which I found out later, but I did not. <laughs> I was the way I was playing my character was very uh, hometown hero, and he would he would have immediately been like, "No, it is for the best of the world." So he just walked out all disappointed and heroic. The end. <laughs> that the end. moment, because I remember being a young lad watching one of my older friends play this game, blew my mind that a. Game, the ending to a game could be so soul-crushingly heartless. Because up until really this point, was. it was amazing. Up until this point, it was always Mario rescues the princess. 
I didn't know that games could sit there and say, you know what? You did a great job. You saved everybody's lives. Now get the fuck out. <laughs> That's true, although you're disappointed seven times when your princess is in another castle. So, this is I true, mean, but there was still that ultimate reward. This is the ultimate reward of being wander the sent down to the wastelands because you did a good job. You did so great. Please leave. Never come back. I love you. Bro. Thank you. Come again. Yeah. But don't. <laughs> oh, other, <laughs> I will say other highlights of the game. The main, the main big... Bad, uh, big bad guy, final boss, is is the master, possibly one of the scariest, creepiest villains in any video game or movie I've ever seen. Yep. Uh, he is sort of a face with an eye stalk coming off of the side that has grown over a computer screen that speaks in four or five different voices, and it's he's clearly insane. And oh, it's just it's horrifying and amazing at the same time. What what I've always wanted is that they refer to the master in pretty much every Fallout game that's come out afterwards, like the second, the third, you know, the new ones and all that. I've always wanted him to come back because he really was one of the creepiest like villains I've ever had, you know, seen in a video game. And I've always wished they would put him in one of the newer ones as like an enemy that's been behind certain events or just comes out in one of the games because he's really fucking creepy. So. And his surrounding dungeon is one of the creepier video game experiences I've ever had because yeah. it's it's dead spacey. There's just corpses and bits of people all over the place, and really really creepy sound down there. Yeah, that's the one downfall oh. of the newer games. Is that besides the fact that they're not that hard, it's that there's not really a main kind of boss fight thing. You know what I mean? It's just like you choose an option, and that's pretty much it. And one thing I, I did wanna... in this case, there were Gatling lasers and super mutants. I know it was great. <laughs> One thing that I just got to comment on from an art design perspective is the pixel art in that game is phenomenal. The, oh, yeah. the set design, the feel of the world itself, the aesthetic is tremendous. Especially and for that one time. thing one thing that you lose in like Fallout 3 and everything because they have to render the different particles when say somebody blows up is when you get a gruesome death in Fallout, it is so much more gruesome than anything you will see in Fallout 3. Oh. Jeez, yes. Uh, was... I mentioned the overseer death earlier. In fact, I, I watched a video of it since I couldn't do it myself. You blow off half of his left side, and he sort of crawls at the door, still trying to get in there, trailing entrails. It's brutal. <laughs> wow. I remember, I remember vividly one of the first bosses you fight is this dude sitting behind a desk. It's been so long ago now, I don't remember his name, but I remember. Gizmo, I believe. With crystal clarity. Oh, the fat guy sitting at the desk. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, where when he blows up, because it was the first time that I had gotten a gruesome kill, and I watched his body just go... It's like and land Chris. everywhere and there's just this little <laughs> spinal column oh. wriggling back and forth and it was just like yeah. this pistol is the pistol of the gods <laughs> and that's where Fallout got its gruesome nature from but it yeah. was it's it's tantamount and everything from Black Isle Studios from that point forward Fallout 2 Planescape Torment all had that same sardonic sense of humor and it was amazing I miss those games to be fair tactics didn't really but I couldn't get through much of that so. mm. I liked it but it was just so difficult anyway <laughs> Chris, going into uh, Fallout 2 and working on the game, had you played the first game? Yes, I had. And the fact that you could actually use your speech skill to convince the master about why his plan was flawed. And then he has that moment where he just simply says, you know what, you're absolutely correct. <laughs> it's perhaps <laughs> one of the most satisfying RPG moments I think I've ever had in a video game. It's something that uh, I want to go back and do, actually, is, is all, of the, all of the different boost a stat to max and see what you can do with it. Or drop a stat to minimum, like intelligence, and then nobody can understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the ability to lower your intelligence and have all that stupid dialogue is, is pretty freaking cool. <laughs> 
And I just got to call out the ability to boost your luck stat to max and then find this random overturned semi in the middle of the desert that's just filled with bottle caps. <laughs> that's a thing? Yeah, that's a thing. It's pretty great. You, you find more random stuff, too, the higher your luck is. Yep. So. <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome. It's fun sometimes just to max your stats and just see all the crazy things that happen. Zach, do I remember correctly that uh, that you actually played uh, the first two Fallout games pretty recently yourself? Yeah, I played them. Uh, I played through Fallout One, and I haven't beaten Fallout Two. But I, or sorry, other way around. I played and beat Fallout Two, but didn't play all the way through Fallout One. But yeah, I, I started with Fallout Three in New Vegas first, and then went to the original games. Well, going into the Nuka Break project, where did your fan love for uh, Fallout come from specifically? If you hadn't uh, played the originals, oh no, it was definitely Fallout Three because that had been, I mean, New Vegas wasn't out yet before mm -hmm. the fa before Nuka Break came out, and well, before we filmed it, yeah, Fallout Three was definitely one of the first games in a very long time that I would get lost for you know an entire day sitting there playing the game. <laughs> it is that kind of game. You can very easily get involved in, in quest lines, and, and especially once you get to somewhere like Junktown or the Hub, where it's just quest after quest. You can lose. Uh, it's you can just you, all of a sudden the sun is coming up, and you didn't even realize that you were playing at night. Yeah, it's actually a bit it's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, no, there there were times with Fallout where or Fallout Three, where I would sit, you know, start around eleven o'clock, you know, in the morning, and then I'd realize it's getting dark. <laughs> Seven thirty, eight o'clock at night. You're like, I just I woke up. Lunch or dinner. I had just been sitting there playing all day, and that doesn't happen too often with video games. But that one was, yeah, Fallout Three was one of them. And especially when you're sitting there going, like, but I only finished two quests. I don't <laughs> understand what's going on. I just I've done I two was... quests. It's been twelve hours. Yeah. <laughs> I talked to a couple people, but I didn't think it took that long. But also, I can't play video games that long now that I'm getting old. No, I don't think I could sit down for 12 hours straight without being like, I need to take a fucking nap. I'm an old person. Where's my <laughs> diaper? <laughs> Chris, working on the original style top-down uh, turn-based Fallout games and the the newer ones, what do you think, aside from just general graphics and everything, what do you think that the trade has been in, insofar as gameplay? In your opinion, what does the uh, older ones do better that the newer ones can't do and vice versa? I think that the, uh, well, the, the, the top-down view just allows you to approach uh, combat a little bit more tactically in the sense of it just it had very much more of a turn-based feel about it. And then having sort of that isometric view for the camera allowed you to get a much sort of wider grasp mm -hmm. on the battle scene and figure out like you know where you want to position yourself like you know how you can use those two hex to your most most out of your action points and and things like that I, I i do think a lot of the principles of the fallout franchise however did translate between the games pretty well like bethesda was always kind of a master of doing the open world rpgs where you just wanted to go around and explore everything and that's always been a big part of fallout and so when fallout 3 came out bethesda really lent that design skill to make the fall world just this place you just wanted to go over every hill and explore and there was always something cool to find around it like every bend and every corner there's a huge artistic difference between the newer fallout games and the older because in the older it's you know a top-down view right and so whatever the creators want you to see you will see it from that angle and you will see it how, you know, whatever they make, you will see it how they make it. Yeah. And However, yeah, and the newer games, games gives you choice. You in can all things. look at the ground all day long or but you can see things from various angles. So it's very different. Both of them are completely different artistically. Yep. I love that about them. But maybe this is uh, too much of an open ended question. But uh, Chris, what do you think the the future of Fallout is insofar as uh, game design and uh, and progressing with the rest of the industry and everything? 
I don't know really whether Fallout was really that successful as a franchise. Like I, you know, I don't think it made much money for Bethesda, and you know, people don't seem to like it very much. So I'm not really sure what's going to happen with it. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm, I'm totally. Cause I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure they're going to do uh, more more installments. They'll probably uh, have a lot of the same uh, design principles that Bethesda is built on, with like Oblivion and Fallout Three and Skyrim. And uh, I think they'll just keep refining. Luke, do you recommend that everyone who's a fan of the Fallout series but hasn't played the original, like, should go back and liter- and actually play the original game? Is that something they should do? I think absolutely because even and, and I was sort of backwards discovering so many things that I'd love from Fallout Three, and that alone is enough motivation. And also yeah, yeah, yeah. because you should play an old school, hard, slow paced game because it'll be good for you, you damn kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I like. Uh, we had to Demon's click Souls. our character across the screen both ways. <laughs> In my <laughs> day, we discovered we can make him run all the time, and that really <laughs> sped things up. <laughs> Well, let me hit up somebody I haven't heard from at, at all so far this discussion. Brian. Brian, I, I assume you played uh, Fallout when it was brand new? No, I no? Uh, had a, what, what's the word, a shitty computer. Okay. <laughs> well, ha- have you played the originals? No. Wow. Wow, Brian. I would have thought for sure that that was, uh, that was in fact, all I, you. I have not, well, I have played both Fallout 3 and New Vegas for about an hour each because that's only that's as far as I can get before my... I guess gaming OCD just destroys me because both games are so open-ended that I am at, I am immediately just paralyzed by having to do everything immediately, which is idiotic and completely like my fault. Like I'm not saying like this is something that's wrong with these games. It's just I'm an idiot and can't play them. Same with Skyrim. I can't. I got five minutes into Skyrim. <laughs> Literally five minutes. It's like ah, there's this baked potato next to the stove. Oh, I can pick it up. Oh my god! <laughs> Pretty much. Yes. That's leave baskets. House. Baskets. There's seven baskets in this room. Leave <laughs> <laughs> houses bare. Baskets the world. I imagine he has. If he had a house in Skyrim, it's filled with every single item you can find and just dropped on the floor in a chest, all neatly and organized. If I needed it later. Oh. I can realize I'm a normal person, but put me in the game and I become a hoarder. <laughs> Skyrim Hoarders Edition, here's Brian's house. Video game hoarders. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to adjourn this uh, Nerdy Show prograde fan film episode. Uh, but before we go, I want to remind everybody that Nerdy Show is a listener-funded podcast, and uh, no matter when you're listening to this, we do have some kind of support drive going on right now. So if you like what you heard, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, please feel free to just slide a little bit of love our way in a financial sense. So we would most appreciate it. If you give even a dollar, you, we do send you a bunch of amazing, cool crap if you uh, send us just a dollar. Uh, but uh, we got some support drives going on, and uh, if you just check it out to the front page and... Uh, See what sort of support drive we have. We like to play little games with you. Mind games. Yes. Um, so you never know what's going to happen. Maybe uh, maybe you'll tell us what fan fiction to write. Maybe uh, you'll dictate whether or not uh, you know what what topic we talk about or or, or something far stranger. Just uh, just check it out and see what's up. So now we're gonna go. Zach, Chris, thank you so much for joining us, guys. Thank you. Hey, thank you. It was a pleasure. I, I really look forward not just to seeing uh, season two, but also to seeing uh, how much money you guys collect because, man, <laughs> you're doing so damn well right now. Yeah. It's incredible. I'm going <laughs> to donate at least a thousand uh, pennies. So that'll be good. <laughs> Thanks, Brandon. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks. Do my part. PayPal, so however you get those pennies to PayPal, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> to the bank. <laughs> to the bank, money. So, Hex, what do you got for us? Well, OC Remix has but one remix from any of the Fallout franchise. Really? 
And it's from the first Fallout. Ah. And this is the track is called The Fallout of Eli. And this is by uh, OC Remix veteran Maze Dude and Brenner Agassi, who is a professional drummer. And there's a lot of percussion in this track, and it's really good. Very cool. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Hex. Bye, I'm Tony the Draw Friend. <laughs> Bye, I'm Brandon. Brian. Luke. Thanks so much. Be sure to check out the Nuka Break Kickstarter if it's still active, and uh, it, depending on when you listen to this. And listen uh, and go watch Nuka Break if you haven't seen it, you jerks. Yeah, you'll find all the appropriate links on this episode's page. Enjoy the track. Bye-bye.
for listening to Nerdy Show, you damn fine American. Nerdy Show is brought to you by a comic shop, Nerdapalooza, Play and Trade Oviedo, and listeners like you. If you enjoyed what you've heard, support Nerdy Show by telling a friend, picking up some merch at the Nerdy Store, or donate directly and receive exclusive perks. You know, capitalism, you goddamn commies. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, Dungeons and Doritos, videos, contests, and other nerdy programming, visit nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show podcasts via the iTunes Store. Follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, and Twiddler. It's goddamn Twiddler now. Buy it, make it. And get social with other Nerdy Show nerds at nerdyshow.com forums, you goddamn bags of cocks. Nixon, out! Remember, this is spicy. Oh, that's right, it's spicy. Yes, it is. I, I will sample some of your offering. Yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've smelt it, and, uh, and I've also dealt it. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to start drinking Fireball Whiskey. Jealous much? No. Is that no? Isn't that the stuff that tastes like cinnamon and also burns of alcohol? Yes. It's that amazing. Doesn't sound good to it's me. double burn. It's when you hate your life. It's like when you when you soaked uh, your your fireball candy balls in whiskey as a kid. You can chug it if you want. Sure. Right. I my mom used to do that when I wouldn't be quiet. You don't have AIDS or herpes, right? Nope, not that I checked. Okay. We're gonna start recording now. <laughs> well, you didn't check. No. Ah! Give me that bottle. I could have all of those things well, in one. Ooh. Okay, uh, we're recording in three, two, one, and we're coming in from the Nerdy Show intro theme, and here we go. Welcome back, guys, to another Nerdy Show pro-grade fan film episode. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Hex. I'm Tony, the draw friend. <laughs> I'm Brandon. I didn't realize he was going to say more than his name, sorry. <laughs> Maybe we should do this again. <laughs> See, I'm not the only one thrown off by the awkward title. What, what, were you, what was your title? Tony the Draw Friend. Tony the Draw Friend. Tony the Draw String. <laughs> Tony the G-String. Tony the G-String. Tony the Draw Strap. Yeah, Tony the G-String <laughs> Baldini, uh, proprietor of several strip clubs. Can we all have mobster names? That's what I do. <laughs> We all have lobster names? <laughs> <laughs> I got the clamps! Branding clamps. So that's a good outtake. Let's start again. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll wait, I'll wait for your title, then I'll say my name. Okay. okay. Your goofy okay. title. <laughs> Three, two, one. Welcome, guys, to another Nerdy Show pro-grade fan love episode. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Hex. I'm Tony, the draw friend. And I'm Brandon. Well, not and I'm Brandon, because... Oh, because there's more people. Let's do a retake from Brandon. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice, Brandon. Nice. Uh, okay. Uh, we're, we're doing... <laughs> we're doing Brandon, Brian, Luke. And that's how we're doing. And uh, three, two, one, Brandon. I'm Brandon. I'm Brian. <laughs> I'm Luke. Participant. <laughs> <laughs> Hate everything. Oh, we sound so <laughs> sterile. <laughs> hey, hold on a sec. I'm gonna. That wasn't me what at the, all. What the hell have I walked into? <laughs> God. Yeah, see, Chris got joined. Chris joined the conversation at the same time I did. <laughs> so, Cap, explain to me who is here right now. <laughs> you just did. I just did. Okay, but I think we're not. We're not. Um, we're not. We're not recording. Formally yeah. recording. This yes. is not the segment yet. Um, <laughs> you guys can't fool me. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
So we got we have Chris. Um, and Chris, your last name is pronounced Avalone. That is correct. Okay, Chris Avalone and Zach Frenfrock. Wait, I'm being honest. It's actually Avalone. Uh huh. What do you think it it's was? It's not Avalon. Okay, I uh, thought he was mispronouncing I, it. Okay, that's good. I, I, this is important. I, I wish it was Avalon because that's cooler. But no, that's it not is it. Avalone. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> There's been a debate. Who the hell was that? That was Tybee. There's been oh a debate God. with Nuka Break crew that we weren't sure if it was Avalon or Avalon. God damn it, Zach. Well, how do you and how do you spell it? Maybe been for the Avalon the entire time. Yeah, how do you spell his name? It was Avalon. There's an E at the end. Oh, there is. Yes. Oh, then it's Avalon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How does that up for debate? There's an E at the end. That's like simple, simple Avalon. English. People. It's simple math. It's simple math. <laughs> Come on, E at the end. It's, it's a long e O. The, yeah. Fucking okay. assholes. High five. If anything, <laughs> I'd see it mispronounces Avalone. Okay. <laughs> so if uh, if uh, Zach, if Tybee's there, any way we could drag her on this thing too? Tybee, you've been officially invited to the Nerdy Show podcast. Tybee. 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 Is that a real name? Tybee Biskin. Yes. You're laughing your last name now. She is now going to jump on to kick some ass. <laughs> Ivy Dickskin. <laughs> You're joking, right? No, Please tell skin. me. Dickskin? Okay. Dickskin. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> We're alienating everybody on the podcast that isn't already affiliated with it. By one. Whatever, these are beautiful already takes. Been <laughs> and Ryan Clevenger is here, too. So bash him all you want. Keep, keep in mind, my last... How'd you say my last name? Frenfrock? Thank you, Frocky. It is Finfrock. But it, wait, wait, wait. But there's wait, an wait, R in it, isn't there? Finfrock. There's, there's a single R in it, yes. It's it's not Flynnfrick? <laughs> damn it. Oh, I got it wrong all this time. Okay. <laughs> so it's Finfrock. So it's Finfrock, not Frit. Well, that's good because a Finfrock is, is some weird, crude device women wear <laughs> to hide their vaginas. Not how it, it, my name is pronounced exactly how it is, how it is spelled. Thank you, Frocky. <laughs> yes. Well, at least it's not Mignola. <laughs> McDerpaderp. Or, or Vic Mignana. <laughs> you know what? Let's yeah. just not use anyone's last names, because I don't care. <laughs> that's good. I like, I like that idea. Okay. That's, that's a good one. I've got this down. All right. Let's get the show on the road.